Building the right bridge infrastructure helps ensure more durable, cost-effective, and sustainable bridges. Greg Freeby from the American Segmental Bridge Institute explains how segmental bridges can be that sustainable solution. Transportation infrastructure. It's what keeps our economy moving and gets people safely where they need to go. But maintaining safe, reliable infrastructure assets is a complex challenge that requires innovative solutions. I'm Nick Frank from Agile Assets, and I'll be your guide as we navigate through the complex and evolving world of infrastructure asset management. My guest today is Greg Freeby. Greg currently serves as the Executive Director of the American Segmental Bridge Institute. He joined in 2018 after a 32-year career in the bridge division of the Texas Department of Transportation, where he served as the director of the bridge division and state bridge engineer, among other roles. Greg is the previous chair of the AASHTO Committee on Bridges and Structures Technical Committee T10 Concrete Design. Greg, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to talk with you today about some segmental bridges. Uh, but before we dive into that, can you tell me about your role at the American Segmental Bridge Institute? So at the American Segmental Bridge Institute, which we also call ASBE, uh, I serve as the executive director. And pretty much my role is to advance, promote, and innovate segmental bridge concrete technology. We're talking about bridges today, but more specifically, segmental bridges. Uh, so what are those? I'll answer that question um, by also kind of talking about how they differ from traditional methods of construction, because those that, those two are kind of tied together. Um, segmental bridges are first and foremost a method of construction. Uh, one of our members is actually rather famous for saying that segmental construct is a construction method that has design implications. And that is to say, unlike a lot of other traditional structure types where the designer just designs it and then a contractor goes and builds it, means and methods is a really important part of segmental constructions. And so oftentimes a contractor will have a construction engineer who I don't wanna say redesigns, but I'll say refines the design of the segmental that the original designer came up with. And that is, they may change uh, locations of temporary supports, they may change lengths of segments, some of those things that make it a little different. And so consequently, um, it's, it's very different from what a lot of people are used to in terms of a construction method. And that was kind of the genesis of ASBE in the first place was to help particularly owners understand how segmental technology was is different and so then i'll go on to say so what exactly is segmental bridges uh they're generally a box section with wings uh, that's the most common shape for a segmental box girder and if you think about them they're usually the width of the roadway usually we build bridges with eye girders or our girder system that run longitudinally well, if you want to think about it, these are really more like girders that run as almost as a transverse from one side of the of the bridge to the other. But they're in, then they're in eight to 10 foot long segments that are then built incrementally and then post tension longitudinally in the direction of travel to create a structure. And so uh, most commonly used for long span uh, bridging solutions. 
when we talk about bridge smoothness and rideability, what is the difference between segmental bridges and maybe a more traditional style bridge? Well, so that's interesting. They're they're actually very similar. And in fact, in some ways, segmental bridges have the opportunity for a better ride quality than a traditional bridge in the sense that because they're built incrementally, uh, the contractor has uh, survey staff that very carefully measures each segment, the elevations and other dimensions at each step of the construction. And they're constantly making adjustments for the vertical profile, accounting for expected, uh, expected creep and shrinkage as well as deflections as the, as the bridge is built. And so consequently, you have the potential for uh, a remarkably smooth ride. Now, some people may say, yeah, but there's also opportunities for lots of mistakes, right? Because you didn't get your calculations right or things didn't work as, as planned. And so in order to be prepared for that, most segmental bridges are built with additional clear cover in the top slab to allow for diamond grinding in any locations that maybe were a little high. And there's even opportunity to do fills uh, for low uh, low sections, but overall the the ride quality is is going to be very similar to other bridges, maybe even a little better. Again, if you think about we're talking about longer span bridges, which means fewer expansion joints, which means fewer thump 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 every time you hit the end of a span. So, and is that one of the bigger challenges of the segmental? Is since it isn't built in one big space, it, you know, you mentioned it. You know, maybe your calculations are off. Is that maybe one of the bigger challenges of of the building of the segmental bridges is those calculations could be off comparatively to when it starts over here and is, you know, 100 feet west, east, wherever. Right. So so what you're talking about is is actually a very big topic uh, that gets covered pretty extensively within the segmental bridge community, and that is geometry control. Segmental bridges are built in two, generally two methods, either precast or cast in place. When they're precast, those segments are built in a casting yard away from the bridge. And so each segment that is then fabricated is used as the header or the form for the next segment. So they're match cast one to the other. So you're doing these critical geometry control uh, calculations and adjustments as you're fabricating the segments. And so if all goes well, then you end up with a bridge that at least theoretically fits together perfectly. And of course, we all know. Um, nothing's perfect and there's always opportunities for little little misalignments and so as they're progressing they're oftentimes erecting segments as they're fabricating segments and so they can even make adjustments as they go in the fabrication of the segments cast in place is a similar activity in the sense that you use a form traveler where the the each segment is uh is created i'll say uniquely with geometry control built into that section as you go, again, accounting for the deflections and other roadway geometry as you go. You know, you saying the word geometry makes me know that I was not meant to build build bridges and help with that. Uh, <laughs> that was my worst math subject in school was geometry. So I'm happy I was not part of the uh, any segmental bridge building. <laughs> well, and so in that regard, I'll make I'll make a plug for one of our sister organizations, the Precast Pre-Stress Concrete Institute, has a really robust system of e-learning modules that are available from their website for free on not only bridge geometry. So a practitioner, particularly those right out of school, you generally don't learn bridge geometry in college. That's just not something that's taught. In fact, surveying is being taught less and less. So 
those training modules give the opportunity to learn about bridge geometry and then there are even specific modules on precast segmental bridges so you can learn even more about how all of that works in terms of um, the calculations that are required you mentioned the two methods of the segmental bridges which is the precast and the cast in place is there a preferred method between those two so the selection of whether you go precast or cast in place is usually dictated by the size of the project and that is if it's a fairly modest bridge, you know, maybe it's a three span continuous 700 or so feet long, would be really unusual to see that done other in a way other than cast in place. But then if you're thinking about uh, other projects that have been done where there are elevated expressways that'll be literally several miles long, then that's when precasting starts to become the more attractive option, usually because traffic disruptions become the big issue right in those urban areas and so by precasting the elements you're getting a lot of that construction activity out of the roadway it, you know out of the construction site right out of the way of the traveling public um, and, and then you'll also build the structure faster because you're not built you're not moving formwork within the within the project limits sure and you kind of touched on length a bit is there a minimum length needed for a segmental bridge and, and on the reverse, is there a maximum? I mean, I imagine there's not, there can't be a maximum, but is there so, a minimum? Yeah, so there's really not a, met, a minimum length, but again, um, segmental is typically used where longer spans are, are desired. And so you won't see it used on little short span, county road bridges, that kind of thing. You'll usually see it uh, more often where uh, we're replacing an existing long span bridge um, where spans are, you know, 200 to 300 feet long and overall bridge length around, you know, five to 700 feet. That's the fairly, fairly typical. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, the elevated expressways that are, you know, miles long and obviously the spans aren't miles long, but they're usually comprised of either span by span or cantilever uh, segments that are, you know, somewhere around the 180 to 250, 300 foot range, somewhere, somewhere around in that, in that range. And it seems like there's a really good example of one of the longer form ones. The state of Louisiana seems to use a lot of segmental bridges, especially as you're going from east to west. A lot of the bridges that um, Louisiana currently has are actually built by more conventional methods. They have used some uh, full length precast spans, uh, which we don't really regard as segmental. Um, they have just started um, in the last several years of using segmental, particularly on some direct connector ramps where again long spans and trying to get out of the out of the the construction zone as, as quick as possible is important um the other the other big users have been florida department of transportation you see a lot in florida a lot in texas um and they're really widely spread throughout the the us we we embarked a couple years ago to put together a database of all known segmental bridges and you would think you could just go to the National Bridge Inspection Database, right, and query for segmental, and you'd be done, because there is a there is an attribute in the in the database. But a lot of them get coded in the system as other and other bridge types, and some of them are miscoded, which happens. And so we've kind of relied on institutional knowledge of where we know the segmentals are. So maybe they're not coded as segmental, but we're able to identify them. And there's on uh, vehicular 
carrying uh, structures, there's somewhere around just shy of 500 in the U.S. Uh, that we've identified. And then, of course, there are a number of rail structures and people movers, and they're really getting a lot of use in airports for the people movers. Uh, L.A. is building one right now. It's about wrapped up. It's sort of a hybrid between what California traditionally does, which is a cast-in-place box on false work, and then they use some of the segmental techniques of balanced cantilever to, to close in over uh, a lower roadway. And when you're looking at all of the areas that are using it, what are the benefits that they see from building a segmental bridge over maybe a traditional one? So there's really a number of attributes that that kind of where segmental shines. And um, usually when an owner goes through a, I'll say a, a fairly rigorous a structure type selection process, a lot of times segmental will come out of the mix when it's a fairly unique project. I'll say if it's, you know, their typical bread and butter, like we talked earlier, short span bridges, then then you're not even, segmental's not even going to be on the table. Um, but on the larger projects, again, where we talked about sort of the longer spans, elevated expressways, that's where segmental really starts to come in. In particular, we kind of talked about being able to precast. That helps reduce that construction time. And therefore, you get increased safety, less time of a project, less time for workers and the traveling public to be exposed to those hazards of construction, right? So that's reduced traffic disruptions as well, right? Because a lot of segmental can be built from on top. And so you're not disrupting lower roadways or even lower waterways, which is also a common use of segmental is to cross the intercoastal waterways or other you know, shipping channels. Um, reduced overall costs can then happen, and we'll probably talk later about costs, um, but just kind of thinking about less time is less money. Another big driver for a lot of communities, though, has been the improved aesthetics that you get from segmental bridges. There was a project just recently built uh, in Birmingham in their central business district, and segmental came out as the preferred option from the community standpoint because of how the structures looked. They, they have a really clean look to them. And this was an area where the existing bridges were well past their uh, service life and they were fairly low and kind of a divider within the community. And so with a segmental, you were able to get an increased clearance underneath the bridges, a much better looking structure and kind of reclaim some of those dark areas underneath the bridge that would have otherwise just gone unused. And so they've developed a lot of that then as parkland and multi-use uh, land. And so communities are oftentimes choosing if, when segmental is put up in front of them, they will often choose that. The other advantage in those kind of urban environments is because segmentals are fairly massive in terms of the concrete that's used, um, they're also very quiet, surprisingly quiet. And a lot of times you can be inside of a segmental box that's under traffic and barely hear the traffic running on top. It's, you know, it's kind of amazing. And again, it's just that amount of concrete tends to really dampen a lot of the noise that you would get in some of the other structure types. We also feel like improved quality control is a really good, we talked about how you build things incrementally. Well, when you build things incrementally, then you also have the opportunity to make corrections incrementally and particularly in precast where there's even the opportunity to just out and out reject an entire segment. Don't like to see that happen from a from a cost standpoint. Um, but if something goes really wrong, you have an opportunity to make that correction. You're not you're not sort of boxed in. 
And then the last, I'll say several attributes I'll talk about all kind of focus around sustainability where we feel like segmental is really a sustainable solution. And that is there's an opportunity for reduced environmental impacts. Again, you can work from above. There were some bridges built years ago. And in fact, they're still continuing to build them on uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway where all of the work was done from on top. And so that limited the impact to uh, a fairly sensitive ecosystem. Lower maintenance because they're not painted. They generally don't have a lot of maintenance activities beyond uh, what a traditional concrete bridge would have. They also use local labor and materials. That's very common that they will hire local laborers and source all of the materials locally. And so you don't have materials that are being trucked across the country and sort of the environmental impact that goes with that. And then efficient use of materials. Um, segmental bridges are a really efficient use of concrete in particular. It's pretty much impossible to build a bridge that doesn't include concrete. And so um, making an efficient use of the concrete you are using, uh, certainly segmental has that opportunity. And in the end, uh, they're very durable. They, they really, most of them are designed for zero tension at service. And so um, they don't crack in service and therefore really long service lives are, are attainable. And those to us kind of all kind of tie back to um, being able to say that really from our view that segmental really are a, a sustainable solution. Quiet, durable, sustainable, better looking. Uh, you're naming a lot of benefits of these segmental bridges. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, you kind of touched on it, but we didn't dive into it yet, is the cost. So I'm curious as to what is the cost compared to the traditional and how does that work if you know, you're know you building in and bringing in these different segments and how that all plays right, out? Right, right. And so you know it depends on the project, obviously, and the location. Uh, again, we're, we're particularly competitive segmental bridges are where we're looking for longer spans and fairly long bridges where there's a you know a, a large enough I'll say quantity length of the total bridge to make it make sense to mobilize either a precasting yard or the form travelers that are needed for cast in place uh, construction and so oftentimes a lot of people want to just kind of look at raw square foot costs and I know that's a that's a number that the uh, Federal Highway Administration has states provide every year is what is their bridge construction cost by bridge type. And oftentimes under that, uh, segmental will come out a little more expensive than other structure types. But when you start comparing to other long span structure types and then also considering total project costs, that's where segmental really starts to shine. It's why we've seen segmental selected uh, on a number of design build projects recently because the contractor is able to look at it from a total project cost understanding and those traffic control activities that are required for more traditional construction can cost a lot of money, particularly in urban areas, whereas a segmental would give you the opportunity perhaps to build from on top and reduce or eliminate a lot of those those traffic disruptions and expensive traffic control that goes with it. And I feel like you've kind of touched on the long-term performance with the sustainability and quality control and durable. Uh, so I think I'll shift and I'll ask, you know, what future innovations do you think can help improve impact? What do you see coming for segmental bridges down the line? 
I would add though uh, on the pre on the cre previous question, I'll say about the the long term performance. It kind of depends on how we want to frame long term performance. Uh, the first segmental bridge in the U.S. that's recognized by the industry was actually just opened in 1973. So we have a little less than 50 years behind under our belt, and so we certainly get challenged by other structure types to say, "Hey, wait a minute, we've been building these for over 100 years," and and that's a valid that's a valid argument. And so one of the things we have done is to continuously monitor the the existing segmental inventory that's out there. We produce a durability survey every few years and we go back and look at the bridges that are in the national bridge inspection database and look at their condition ratings and watch and monitor their either deterioration over time or their lack of deterioration over time and by and large it's been uh, a fairly uh, low deterioration rate so far uh, the first bridge the first segmental the jfk causeway that was built in 1973 just underwent a very extensive evaluation by the Texas Department of Transportation and their consultant. Um, and it's in remarkable shape. It's in a coastal environment. They found a few little minor defects or things that need to be addressed through some maintenance contracts, but overall uh, performing very well. And so uh, I think that then ties to, I'll say the next part of the, or the next question, which is the future innovations, because certainly I think as a bridge community, we should be looking for innovations that uh, are not only sustainable, but also help to extend the service life of bridges. And sometimes those two things are, are very closely joined. And so for segmental bridging, I would say the, the innovations that are coming most certainly is in the area of materials. Right now, there's a lot of focus um, by the Federal Highway Administration and the Precast Concrete Institute on ultra high performance concrete. And uh, if you don't know a lot about the material, I encourage you to do a little Google searching. You'll find uh, it's an amazing material, not just because of its compressive strengths that are, you know, 28,000 PSI kind of concrete strengths, which is um, not really, to me, the attribute. It has incredible tensile strength, but to me, most importantly, it has a permeability you almost cannot measure. And when you start building concrete bridges with a material that is almost more like a ceramic, then that really solves a lot of our problems we've had historically with ingress of chlorides and deterioration that goes with that. Um, so I'm, I'm really optimistic, honestly, about ultra high performance concrete. I know a lot of people are saying, yes, but it's really expensive right now. Um, and I would say, you know, reach in your pocket and pull out your your phone and you would probably rewind 20 years ago and say that was impossible, that that thing would ever be cheap enough to be in everybody's pocket. And so uh, I think there's potential for ultra high performance concrete to really revolutionize not only the segmental bridge build industry, but the, the built environment as a whole. Greg, you have done a great job expanding my knowledge on segmental bridges and now ultra high performance concrete, which it seems like I now need to go find another guest to talk about that, to dive into that more so I can learn more about that. Um, but for today's conversation, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to add? Well, I guess I, I take the opportunity to do a little shameless plug in the sense that if you want to know more about segmental bridges, you can go to uh, you can Google search American Segmental Bridge Institute, go to our website, 
You can find a number of free publications for download, including our construction practices handbook that'll give you a whole lot more information about some of the methods and techniques for building segmental bridges. And also you'll probably stumble across that we're doing free monthly webinars that are, uh, we issue pro professional development hour certificates. It's usually an hour long webinar and it's usually centered around a segmental bridge or segmental bridge related topic. So opportunity for folks if they want to learn more about segmental bridges. Awesome. Well, Greg Freeby, the executive director of the American Segmental Bridge Institute. Thanks for being my guest today on Move Your Assets. Thank you. If you want to learn more about transportation asset management strategies that save time, money, and lives, head on over to agileassets.com. Once again, thank you to Greg Freeby for sharing his expertise with us today. I'm Nick Frank. Join us again next month for another edition of Move Your Assets.